So welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space 102 FM in West Limit 102. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose. And um, this morning I want to bring a special guest to our programme. I, I recently watched a documentary, I think I've seen it on Nationwide actually. It was called Kilimanjaro Mama Documentary that illustrates that one person really can make a difference. Despite dealing with many challenges, Trilly native Louise Gwill continues to transform the lives of the orphaned and abandoned children in Tanzania. So to tell us more about this story, it's my pleasure to welcome onto our programme today the lady herself, Louise. Welcome, Louise, and thanks again for sharing with us this morning. Thank you, John, and thank you for bringing me on to share my story with you and all your listeners. So I believe this, this journey started off at the end of your final year in UCC when you volunteered to spend some time at an orphanage in Tanzania. What impact or what, what effect did that have on you and how did this change your life? So I always wanted to volunteer, even as a young child, I had a fascination with Africa and my opportunity came in 2006 when I was graduating from UCC. And my placement was actually in Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. And I suppose when I went there and I kind of saw what was going on and the need of the children there and the need of the people, um, I suppose I took it upon myself um, to create this, this home and create these schools for the children of Tanzania because we could see a real need for a facility for them because I suppose their parents, a lot of them were passing away and they had, the children had nowhere to go. So I suppose it had a positive effect on me in one way because I did go and decide to start up this project. And yeah, sorry. Tell me, what made you start up a project yourself? I mean, wasn't there already people out there doing the same thing? Well, this was actually a completely different project. Uh, so the first place I worked in was run by an organization who had a big CEO at the top and all the money that was coming into the organization was going to the CEO and nothing was filtering down to the poor people that needed it. So we decided to change that model and I'm a voluntary director of Tiernan Oak. I do not get paid, I do not take expenses. Uh, so all the money that people donate, all of our money that's raised actually goes directly to the project. And I suppose that's why we've been so successful over the last 15 years. So tell me, going back again, how did you begin with all of this? I'm sure you've had no experience of setting up orphanage before. So how, how did you decide? No. So what happened is when I was um, working in the first orphanage, I actually met a local woman by the name of Monica Tukai. And we became really good friends. And she was actually volunteering her time in that orphanage as well, which I thought was really admirable because she had four children at home. And we got to talking one day and I kind of told her little things that were bothering me and that I couldn't believe that, you know, so many people were making money off the backs of the poor. And I said, look, why don't we join together and form our own organization? And I said, like, there's going to be no middleman. We'll, I'll be able to raise the money in Ireland and it can filter into our projects here. And we literally started from there. So we sourced a building before I went back home to Ireland and we decided that's where we were going to start, um, Tiernan Oak. Now, at this stage, you, you really didn't have any organisation behind you back home, did you? Well, no, we created an entirely new one called Tiernan Oak, yeah. So it, we don't get the backing from anyone else. It's a new organisation. So it's a, it was a brand new charity. Okay, so you decided to set up this. Uh, how, how many children have you now um, within the orphanage and... So we have, actually, we just went up to 60 because last week we got three new children. So we had 57, we now have 60. But we take kids that are short term as well. So maybe they will need us for a month or two weeks or six months and they stay with us then for that length of time and then they go back home. 
So permanent residents of our home, we're probably at around 57 now. When you first added off the organisation, what sort of living conditions were the children so we rented a building which was fit for 25 children because we always kind of had in around 25 to 30 children. And then over the years, because it was a rented property and they refused to sell it to us, um, it just kind of fell into disrepair. And then our numbers started to rise. So we took in uh, a lot more children. And then over time, we kind of had no space left for them. Um, so we have another a separate house in our farm area. And that's where all our toddlers and our babies stay because we're not really equipped to take small babies, but sometimes they come and, you know, we have to look after them. And that's the reality of it. Tell me, how did these children end up being in an orphanage in the first place or looking for an orphanage in the first place? So it's all different. There's all different stories, really. A lot of them have actually lost both of their parents. Some of them have been abandoned and we've never been able to trace their family members. Um, some of them are just coming from really abusive uh, homes. We've had children who have been kind of rescued. They would have been child brides and they've been taken out of these marriage, arranged marriages. Uh, there's loads of different stories. Yeah, loads. And so the children can age between what? So our youngest is nearly two, um, but we do have, we do sometimes get newborn babies, but our youngest is turning two this month and then our eldest is 24. Okay, so how many years have you, how many years have you been working with this now? Louise? Nearly 15 years. Wow, that's a long time. So the conditions have changed for those children during that time from when you first started. Yeah, and that's why we decided we were going to build a brand new facility for them to cater for 60 children um, because their accommodation at the minute is substandard. It's got lack of ventilation, there's lack of recreation space for them. So our construction date has actually been finalised now for the end of August this year. So we will be kicking off and what we're going to do is build an entire children's village so it's got cottage style housing so each of our children now will have a mother in their house um, so that mother will be responsible for the the well-being of the child and i suppose it just creates a lovely little uh, family feel and that bit of security that they need that family feel yeah mm. in the documentary um it's mentioned that school lessons are taught through english why is this um, so some of them, you can go to Swahili speaking schools, but when you get to secondary school, everything is taught through English. So we decided to open an English medium school, which would be the equivalent of a Wales school here. So what they do is they learn to speak English from a very young age um, so that they're prepared for the secondary school system when it comes. And again, prepared for university and college when that happens, because their textbooks are all in English. So it's good to give them a good grounding in English from a young age. And have they moved on from secondary school within your own? Yeah, we have. We've got eight of them in college. Two have graduated, actually. So we've another six in college. So they're doing all different types of things. They're doing accountancy and law. We've got another girl going off doing medicine. One of the boys is leaving to do civil engineering. Uh, we have a girl doing a beautician's course. There's all different things. Whatever they want to do, they can they can do it. And have you got a kind of a roadmap or, or, or kind of facility whereby, you know, once they once they leave secondary school, they can move into society in general? I mean, have you got a kind of a halfway house or things like that? Yes. Yeah, so within our new building, we'll have that kind of a structure set up as like a halfway house um, just to support them until they're finished university. And then But what we've started doing is actually we've started those who are ready. We've started to reemploy them into our own organization. 
So we have a girl finishing her accountancy degree soon and we hope to hire her full time. And then one of our boys has actually finished with a marketing and tourism degree and we've set him up in business. So we've um, set up our own tour company there so he can do all of the safaris, he can do the Kilimanjaro climb uh, with international tours. So we support them, yeah, right the way through. When I was listening to the documentary, one young lady said in the documentary, and I quote, I'm the boss of my future. If I fail, my future fails. I have to be strong. I have to study and work well. Very wise words which, which, which we could all take on board. That young lady, I believe, uh, would have been in your orphanage all her school life. You certainly made a difference to her. And you supported, uh, and you certainly supported in whatever she aims to do in life. But what lessons do you think we can take from your experience in Kilimanjaro? Um, I suppose, look, that was Ava that was featured in the documentary and just to be aware that the children of Tanzania know that the education is their passport out of poverty and that's why it's so valued there and they must invest in their education first. They're one of 60 million people. I mean, they have to stand out. They have to do something and create opportunity for themselves. Um, I suppose the lessons that I've taken personally would be, and I think a lot of people who, who travel with me would, would feel the same, is that we, we very quickly begin to recognize the abundance of blessings that we have in our own lives and that we like to express gratitude for everything that we've been given. Mm-hmm. And it just makes you really appreciate, do you know what, I won the birth lottery here. I grew up in a good family. I was educated. I can eat food three times a day. There are still people in 2021 who are dying from starvation. And I think that's a very difficult thing to understand. Um, and there's people fighting to be educated. I mean, you can have maybe young people here and they don't care and they're given free education and maybe they don't respect that or whatever. But, you know, the Tanzanian people, they, they fight for their education. They want to be educated. They want to better themselves. What keeps you going on it? Because I'm thinking about a young lady who went out there just to experience and thinking you might get a little bit of experience maybe for a few months or whatever. 15 years later, you're still there. What keeps you going? Um, I think when I get to sit back and I can see them strive and achieve things, then I know what I'm doing is correct. And then I don't have any regrets about it because I can see they're just, I can revert my mind back 15 years when some of them are only small little, small little babies, small toddlers. And then when I can see them graduating from secondary school, going on to college, and I'm just like, you know what, our system is working, our model is working. And that was the aim all along is to create the future leaders of Tanzania, the future generation. So you're certainly stuck at what your your dream was, just to stay with it. And all right, I'm sure it wasn't all plain sailing. But I suppose some of our listeners might be might be listening this morning. Might be saying, "Yeah, this is great work." Now that this lady has started off, if they want to help, how how can they do it? Okay, so we do have a really good um, website. Our website is www.tiernanoborphanage.com and we have so many ways of helping uh, through the website. You can make a single donation, you can sponsor a child on a monthly basis, you can fundraise on behalf of Tiernanog. Um, there's a lot of different options, yeah. Or just maybe support the fundraisers that we're, we have going on at the minute. And on that particular website, um, the YouTube is also on that? Um, yeah, so our Kilimanjaro Mama is free to view on YouTube. Yeah, you can just Google it even and it'll come up on YouTube. Yeah, Louise, thanks a lot for for joining us today and and sharing that story. It's a story that um, I think is fantastic because it's someone who who saw a need, wasn't put off, 
with the daunting task that seemed to be maybe you probably didn't look in front maybe too often because if you did you probably wouldn't have got it on with it but you stay with it for 15 years well done uh, and listen hopefully um, some of our listeners will be able to help you and certainly just go into that um, that website again and the website again is www.tiernanoveorphanage.com okay now right at the end of the um, of the YouTube the young children are singing a song is that a particular song or is the message in that or can you tell us can you introduce a song while we play it out please well, actually, a lot of people don't know, but the children provided the entire music for the for the whole of the documentary. So that's them singing right throughout. And they actually Whoa. went and released an album of their music last year within um, from the church that they're part of the choir there. So they, I have a thousand copies in my room upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so it's beautiful. So, the, so if, if you broke down the meaning of the song, I suppose the meaning of the song, uh, it, it translates as... Um, my my journey to heaven. That's what it translates as, my journey to heaven. What a wonderful way to finish off the interview. In the meantime, thanks a lot, Louise. For, Thank you for having me. For joining us and uh, best of luck with your future work and we'll see what work we can help you out with. Thank you, John. Bye. <laughs>